Silence. 
Close to the 
every page So I will trust your timing I will rest secure Know this is your steady kind of love You are Everlasting Father Prince of Peace Emmanuel, God 
says that the heavens declared the majesty and the glory of the Lord. Father, we just praise you tonight because of who you are. You change not. You are the same, consistently, always the same. And the stars declare, the planets declare, the psalmist said the trees clap their hands at your presence, Lord. 
So we lift our voices and we lift our hands and we lift our praise to you because you're worthy. You're worthy of it all, Lord God. There is no one like you. Doesn't matter what we see, doesn't matter what we may feel, God, you are worthy. Worthy of all the praise and the glory and honor because majestic and holy are you, O oh God. Holy Spirit, tonight would you just speak to us and speak through us? Each of us as members of the body of Christ, God, we bring the giftings that you have brought and bestowed upon each one. God, that you would have your way tonight right here in our midst. We pray in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Won't you take a moment and turn and greet someone? Maybe you've not had a chance to say good evening to. They may have come in after we got started. Well, praise God. Good evening. Glad to see you here tonight. Had some rain, didn't we? A couple hours worth, at least, and lots of lightning. Ooh, that was nice. But there was a beautiful rainbow at the end of it. Yeah, it was nice. That was the Lord saying, I'm still here. I'm still here. I'm in control. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Okay, uh, if anyone is available to help right after service, they have a few things that we need to do. And uh, we're hosting a conference for our district here in Louisiana. Starts tomorrow evening, goes through Saturday. And so um, I think, and I, are, are you still looking for, got it, okay. That's what I want to know. See, just wasn't that great? Are you still looking? We got it. She knew what I was thinking. Amen. Or where I was going. And so, praise God. Anyway, we're, we're excited about being able to host the, those folks that are going to be coming in and uh, the Lord ministering to them. I want to get into the message tonight. We started a series last week called Exercising Discernment. And uh, I may mention, we're going to review a little bit of last week and then add on to it uh, this week. We'll, we'll do that every week because I want you to get the basics part of this down. And if you miss a week, then you're not trying to figure out what's going on. But we're looking at this uh, topic because there is such foolish teachings and doctrines floating around 
the church world today, if I can put it that way. You would think that wouldn't be a, an issue because, well, it's written right here. But where these people come up with this stuff is beyond me. And uh, we live in a world that wants sensationalism, I think. And, um, but let me just give you an example. I gave you a, a couple examples last week. Um, but uh, a pastor posted this week, um, uh, the, the person that I know in another state, and he, he posted the fact, he said, he heard a woman who claims to be a prophetess uh, that you cannot question what she says or fact-checked her by way of the Bible because what she said was, quote, higher revelation straight from God the Father, unquote. Now that should be, if I heard that, I would either get up and walk out or I would get up and make a scene that she needs to go sit down, even if I was just visiting the church. Now, if I was the pastor, I'd throw her out. <laughs> but I mean, but I think I would have had enough discernment not to invite her in the first place. And, um, but she also went on to say how many times she goes back and forth to heaven. She said that there's a Santa Claus in heaven and he has his own town in heaven. There's a flight school in heaven. And there's a magic forest with talking trees along with a bunch of other crazy stuff. Can you believe? Come on now, help me out. I wrote him, I said, are you serious? He said, I heard it with my own two ears. I said, why do people follow people like that? They should run from people like that. I mean, you know, I've told, I've told you if you've been here before, um, when my, I was growing up, my favorite TV show was Lost in Space. And my favorite thing was the robot, you know. And, and I loved it when, he would, when, when there was danger nearby. Remember, everything would start whirling and lights and his his slinky arms would come out, you know, and he would go, warning, Will Robinson, warning, 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 warning. That's what I hear when I hear this kind of stuff. I hear the Holy Spirit going, warning, warning, warning. And, um, but it's amazing how many people hear stuff like this and they just, they just suck it down. Boy, I mean, they're just into it. Which really goes back to the series we just did when I talked about babies. How, remember how babies will take anything and put it in their mouth. They, they don't think about it, you know, they'll just reach and grab for it. So we're talking about what is discernment and how do we put it into practice, okay? First, what is it? Discernment, according to the dictionary, is an act or process of exhibiting keen insight or good judgment. But biblically, discernment is, is basically... Well, there's three or four parts to it. The first one is to identify the true nature of a spirit, doctrine, or practice. Okay? Uh, uh, notice that it's not just, and I, I said it last week, I'll say it again. I've had people come to me 
so many times and say, God's given me the gift of discernment. There is no biblical gift of discernment. There is the gift of discerning of spirits, but that is something totally altogether different. Every, just imagine if only a few people had the gift of discernment, if that was a real thing. Then the majority of the church be walking around with no discernment whatsoever. Talk about mass confusion. God wants all of us to understand that we have the Spirit of God in us who helps us discern truth from error, okay? So it's to identify the true nature of a spirit, of a doctrine, of, of a practice, to distinguish truth from error. Not, and, and sometimes it's just little, little bit of error. You know, it's like just a little bit off. But it sounds almost right, but the Holy Spirit is there to, to help us and to, to help us understand that. And then also it's to distinguish the divine from human and demonic. And um, we talked about that a little bit last week. We'll probably talk about it again real quick. There's two Greek words in the New Testament concerning discernment. One means to examine or judge closely. The other one means to separate it apart from everything else, to investigate or to examine it. And this is biblical. Um, the difference is if you go, if you take it too far, then you become cynical. You, you, it's like you're critical or cynical of everything. That's not what we're talking about. We're just saying having wisdom and discernment concerning that. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 19-22, it says, do not quench the spirit. See, some people will say, well, if you're going to judge everything, then you're just going to quench the spirit. Well, here it is. It says, do not quench the spirit. Do not spise prophetic utterances. Okay? But there it is. But examine everything carefully. Why? Because if you're not going to quench the spirit, that means that there are going to be spiritual manifestations. There are going to be spiritual things that are happening and going on. And, and, and you need to have discernment about it. You need to be able to examine that. You need to look at that closely and say, is that God? Because then it goes on and says, hold fast to that which is good and abstain from every form of evil. So what he's saying is, don't quench the Spirit. Don't despise prophetic utterings. Don't despise the gifts of the Spirit. But at the same time, examine them in the light of God's Word. And when you look at it, hold on to the good part and throw out the bad stuff. It's really not, it's really not any more complicated than that. He's saying, that, why? Because we're human. And how, how many of you have ever gotten anything wrong? Yeah, I mean, we all have. I mean, and, 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 and we're, we're learning. When you learn something, when you're learning to walk in something, learning a new way of doing it. I remember when I was a kid, I uh, took piano lessons for a little while. And, uh, um, you know, and you'd have to practice and you'd hit the wrong notes and the teacher would say, start again. Start again, start again, start again, 
you know, and uh, because she didn't want you, you know, the old thing about practice makes perfect. Bad practice doesn't make perfect. It just makes bad perfect. If that's a if that's a real thing, you know, I mean, really, it's it's perf it's perfect practice that makes per makes it perfect. And so um, he says, just just don't throw everything out with the bathwater. And that's where a lot of people are. They're like, oh, I'm so worried about being deceived. I don't want anything super weird to happen or, or super. And what they mean by that is supernatural. And yet the Holy Spirit is supernatural. The gifts of the Spirit are supernatural. So he tells us, don't throw that out. Don't despise it. Don't forbid it from happening, but examine it. And, and that's what he's telling us. So he says, don't dismiss the Holy Spirit, but be sure to test it. If something doesn't sound right, go in prayer, get in the Word, go to counsel, ask someone who's more spiritually mature about those things, and, and, you, and find out what it says. So last week we said that when an, an experience is unconventional or extraordinary, it does not mean that it is not from God, right? In other words, if it doesn't fit in your box, that doesn't mean it's not God, because God is bigger than our ways, right? I mean, hey, God, God says, my ways are not your ways, and your ways are not my ways. So we have to understand that if when we begin walking in the Spirit, walking in the things of God, just because it's something not customary or something we're used to doesn't mean that it is not God. But then last week I also said when an experience is unconventional or extraordinary, it does not mean that it is from God. You have to understand both sides of the coin. I remember uh, years ago when my wife and I started a church down in South 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 Louisiana, down on the bayous, and um, and and I don't want to freak anybody out here because I've heard people talk about it here, but I made a I made a statement about those who go to a healer, and and I said uh, that's not God, because they came to me and said, well, I got healed, and I said that doesn't mean anything. I said, if sickness comes from the enemy, or can come from the enemy, then he can take the sickness off to make you believe in somebody who's wrong. And I had several people that were going to a healer in their community, and this, but then they would tell me other things about this person and things that they were involved in, and I said, that's unbiblical. And they said, but I still got healed. And I said, just because... It's supernatural, doesn't make it God. In fact, then the Bible says in the last days that the enemy will cause the false prophet and the Antichrist to do wonders, even in the sun, and, and that will cause people to be deceived and follow after their, their false teaching. So we need to understand that as the church moves into the realm of the supernatural, it opens up incredible, exciting possibilities for ministry, but at the same time, it also exposes us to potential danger, okay? And, and, and somebody says, whoa, that's not, I don't want that. Well, driving your cars, getting in your car is a good thing instead of walking, right? Come on now. 
But getting in your car is also putting yourself in potential danger. Not because you're a bad driver, because there's just bad drivers out there. Or there's other things that could happen, right? Okay, so we said last week also, that means that we need to apply the appropriate test. And uh, I said, well, what, what's the appropriate test? And it really goes down to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14. It says, but solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So there, there's two basic requirements here that we talked about, that we need to continually practice discernment every day. That doesn't mean that you go around looking for a devil behind every bush. Look, you don't have to go looking for devils. They just show up. And when they do, you throw them out. Okay? I mean, that's all there is to it. But the second part of that is that means we have to cultivate a diet of solid spiritual food. Because what do you say? But solid food is for the mature. And by those who have constantly eaten solid food have trained themselves to distinguish between good and evil. Why? Because it's out there. And then we made a note that one of the most critical areas of discernment is, is to understand the spiritual versus the soulish. Because what did we just say? Distinguish good from evil. And uh, we, there was two Greek words. I put them up on the screen. We, it was the same ones from last week. But one uh, um, is the root word for spirit, and the other one is for soul. We are spirit, soul, and body. Just like there's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, we are made in the image of God and that God is a triune being and we are a triune being. We have a spirit, we have a soul, and we have a body. The body we understand, the spirit we pretty much understand. The soul is the mind, the will, in the emotions. We think spirit and soul are the same and a lot of times preachers confuse that with people because they, they use it interchangeably. Uh, we talk about the soul as if it's the spirit, but really it, it's another part of who we are. And um, the, the Bible talks about that if we're soulish, it uses different words like nat the natural man, the carnal-minded man, the worldly man, the sensual man. And, and the whole concept of soul is really a New Testament concept. Because in the Old Testament, we, you can read the writings there, and, and they, the Jews affirmed that the, the soul was the spirit. And remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And that when before Jesus died on the cross, no one could go to heaven because the temple in heaven had been defiled. And so he goes down into the deep, and we see that the good who lived under the law are there, their souls are there, their spirits are there. And so it's a New Testament concept, this idea that there's the spirit and the soul. And then one of the things that we pointed out was that the soul part of us and the spiritual part of us are often a conflict. Um, David Wilkerson years ago wrote a little tiny book and um, um, the title just went out of my mind. But it was, it was based on the book of Romans. And it was based on the uh, book of Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8. 
and he talks about the fact that the Bible says the, the things that I don't want to do are the things that I end up doing, and the things I want to do are the things that I don't do. Oh, what a wicked person am I. And he talked about the, the it's like a tug of war that's going on inside of us. And so uh, the, the soul is where we, we, we have our emotions and our natural reasoning. How many of you have naturally reasoned things out about a situation in your life only to have God do it some a different way? Because we're thinking in our natural realm. That's the soul part of us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, it says, But the natural man, the soulish man, does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things. So let me go back and look at that. So the natural man doesn't receive the things of the Spirit, because he can't. But the Spirit... But those who are spiritual judge all things. So he's, he's writing to the church in Corinth and he's saying, you have all these gifts and you have all these things. He said, but if, if you're in the natural, you're operating in the natural, you can't understand the things of God, you can't discern the things of God, but those who are spiritual have learned to judge things. And when you learn to judge them, in, in other words, discern them, then it just easily separates. This is not truth. This is truth. This is not truth. This is truth. This is not truth. This is truth. And you're not, you're not tossed, as the Bible talks about, to and fro, back and forth, back and forth. I don't know. 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 There is no peace in the land, in the valley of I don't know. I'm just telling you. And that's why we have to have discernment. We have to walk in discernment. And so we said that the, the conclusion was that it's the word of God. Hebrews 4 and 12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division, notice, the division of soul and spirit, and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Bible says, who can know the heart? Who can know the heart? The Bible says the heart is wicked. The wicked, it'll deceive you. It'll, it, but the word of God is alive. So when the word is inside of us, it, it separates the soulish and the spiritual, and it discerns the thoughts and intents of the heart and goes, that's not of God, that is. Okay? And that brings me to the next point, starting this week. And it's found in James 3.15. It says, talks about praying for wisdom. Now see, there's a gift of wisdom, and, but that's not what we're talking about. The Bible says that we are to all have wisdom, and if anyone lacks wisdom, let them ask God, and God will give liberally wisdom. But he says it's not wisdom that is earthly, but look what it says. He says, it's wisdom that does not come down. It's earthly, unspiritual, and of the devil. He's, he's talking about, he said, there's an ungodly wisdom, and there's a godly wisdom that comes down from God. And so James says, this wisdom is not of, 
of, of God. And he, he actually points out three stages of this. And I want you to see this. He says, when you begin to operate in the earthly natural wisdom, what happens is when you stay there, then you become unspiritual. Not that you're not a spirit, but you become unspiritual and you're led by your lower or beast, uh, 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 natural nature, okay? The very nature that God saved you from. And if you stay there, then it goes, it progresses and becomes the nature of evil itself and becomes demonic in nature. And, and that's why the Bible says, examine yourselves to see whether or not you're in the Lord. He's examine yourselves to say if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. Uh, so a lot of people say, well, I don't need to examine anything. I'm saved and that's all that matters. But that's not what the Bible talks about. When Christians move out of the realm of the truly spiritual, they begin to descend into the earthly nature. And it's easier and easier the further you go, the longer you go, until you can actually be completely deceived. And that's demonic. And when that begins to happen, when people begin to move out of the spiritual and become in the fleshly, the natural, it's easy for them to experience manifestations um, which can eventually open doors to the realm of darkness. And the thing is, a lot of times they don't realize that they have. Let me give you an example. Please, I'm, I'm just trying to give you things that would be easy to relate to. Um, exuberant Hilarious joy can be the precious work of the Holy Spirit. If you have ever experienced what I would just call holy laughter, it's mind-blowing. It really is. God is delighted when his people delight themselves in him. Him. In fact, the Bible says God loves a joyful or hilarious giver. One who says, oh, this is going to be great. I can't wait to do this and give. So what's the point? But sometimes Christians take their eyes off of, the, of God and they begin to focus on their own subjective experience. Does that make sense? And, and then their goal becomes their own personal enjoyment. I'm going to this meeting. Now I can tell you some years ago, there was a lot of stuff going on all around the world. And when it came over to the United States and People would go to meetings to fall out on the floor and just roll around and laugh because somebody was going to lay hands on them. And so uh, 
Um, and and I, I discerned immediately this was not God. But um, I, we had some people that were my senior in the Lord, if I can put it that way, saying, oh, this is the Lord, this is the Lord, and so-and-so is going to be in New Orleans at such-and-such church, and let's go down there. you got to go. you got to go. I didn't want to go, but we said, well, we'll go anyway. And I said, we're going to check this out. Instead of going on other people's word of what happened, we're going to see and experience what's going on. So this individual came in, and they ministered, and da 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 and without any preaching or anything else, and they started calling people forward, people started going forward, and they would just lay hands on them, and boom, 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 boom. They just went down all over the place, and they'd start rolling around, laughing, just gag, cackling. I mean, and so I, I'm watching 60, 70, 80 people before me where the guy's coming, and I'm like, okay, well, if this is God, it's going to have to be God because I ain't going down. And uh, he came to, this individual came to me and put his hand on me and said his doodah, whatever, and, and tried to kind of push me down. And I kind of put my foot back like this and said, give it your best shot, you know, and, and um, nothing happened. And then he went to the person next to me and every other person went down. And, and for the next hour and a half, they rolled around on the floor just cackling like little kids. There was no ministry, there was no preaching, there was no nothing. And I just walked out of there just so disappointed, so discouraged. And, um, but those people came expecting to do that. And that's my point. Their focus became their experience that's what they were going for. And when their goal becomes their own personal enjoyment, it's at that moment that their worship becomes a form of entertainment. I'm not trying to get too deep, but I'm trying to help you understand this. If you take the pattern, and, and, and what happens is true, genuine joy ends up being replaced by flippant frivolity. I mean, just ridiculousness. And, and when you look at the life of Jesus in ministry, you don't see that anywhere. In fact, if anything, you see the, the sick and the demon-possessed and the hurting and whatever. They're coming to Jesus and he's not saying, roll around on the ground and let me see your life and all that kind of stuff. He's, he's healing them. He's bringing the truth. And um, he, all of his teaching dealt with, with eternal issues. He wept and he groaned, but he never jested. Um, and and um, when it comes to worshiping God... That, that's the danger. When, when, when our experience is more important than what we bring to God, what happens is our religion or our faith becomes play. And then we're on the verge of idolatry. Okay? Let me give you an example in the scripture. In Exodus 32 and 6, it says the Israelites 
were at the foot of Mount Sinai. Now, you remember what happened at the foot of Mount Sinai? They were told to get ready. Remember, they're going to meet God. Three days to prepare, right? Get, get Egypt out of you because you're about to meet God. And the day comes and there's thunder and dark clouds and fire up on the mountain. And the people are fearful. They come to the foot of the mountain, but they won't go any further. And they go, Moses, you go hear from God. Come back and tell us what he says. And that's good enough for us. So God, Moses goes up on the mountain. What happens? What happens when Moses is gone? He's gone for an extended period of time. And there's several examples of it. But let me just show you this one, Exodus 32 and 6. It says, so the next day, the Israelites, they arose early and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and then rose up to play. The word play means to sport, to laugh, to mock or make sport of. And they had forgotten the awe-inspiring words of God that they had heard themselves. And let me show you the progression here. They worshiped with offerings, right? First thing they did, burnt offerings, peace offerings, they worshiped with offerings. But then they rose up to play. And the word play there is, is, again, it means to make sport of, to laugh, to, to mock, all of those things. And then what came next? The golden calf. And if you go study that out, you'll find that after they made that golden calf, they were dancing and worshiping the golden calf. And one of the words that's there says that, they literally says that they not only danced around it, but they kissed it mouth to mouth. So they went from offerings to playing, jesting, mocking, laughing, and next thing you know, their worship turned into idolatry. And if our worship takes on the character of play, the result will be no less serious for us today. Another way that the soulish nature expresses itself is when we put a human leader in a place that is reserved for Jesus alone. It's right to express gratitude and appreciation to individuals who have blessed us, ministered to us, whatever, but never offer them the kind of soulless adulation that borders on idolatry. And I've told you this before. You've probably heard it said by others. Don't put leaders on a pedestal. Because when you put them on a pedestal, God only has one choice, and that's to take them down. Isaiah 48 and 11, God says, I will not give my glory to another. Another translation says, I will not share it with another. And then the last thing for tonight is that the, another danger uh, that threatens those who minister in the supernatural realm, again, is the temptation to use spiritual gifts to manipulate or exploit or dominate people. I have seen this so much 
over my lifetime. I guess that's what happens when you live a long time in the, in the things of God. You see this happen. Um, this is witchcraft. Witchcraft, spiritual witchcraft. Well, witchcraft is spiritual no matter how you look at it. But most people don't think about it, but witchcraft, let me just put this up there. Witchcraft is the attempt to control people and get them to do what you want by the use of any spirit that is not the Holy Spirit. And this happens in churches all the time. I could tell you story after story after story. But I've said this before, that if anyone has a spirit that they can use, it's not the Holy Spirit because you can't use God. You can't control God. I, I, I remember years ago, I heard a speaker tell a story he knew of personally, and he talked about it. In, in, in fact, I ended up, I remember I preached a message called Witchcraft in the Church. Just the title alone freaked people out. They were all looking around like, you know, they were looking for witches, you know. And I'm like, yeah, there's some in here right now, you know. And they were like, ooh, you know, they were freaking out. But in this understanding that witchcraft is the attempt to control people or manipulate people to get them to do something by the use of any other spirit. Well, what other spirit is there? Well, there's demonic spirits, but there's also the human spirit. Okay? And so he told a story about how a church split three ways over the color of carpet. They were going to replace the carpet in their sanctuary, a country church. And some wanted red, and some wanted blue, and some wanted green. And they couldn't come to a, a compromise on the color. And so he told how one, one Sunday an individual stood up and said, I had a dream last night. And in this dream I saw the most gorgeous royal blue that you've ever seen it was in heaven and 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 they went on to describe it and they said blue is the color of royalty it's what god wants blue the next sunday somebody else stood up and gave a message in tongues and the person gave an interpretation they said, red is the color of my son's blood. It's red that, that, that washed away your sins and made it white as snow. Red is the color. And then somebody else stood up and said, no. Psalm says that he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. And they split three ways over the color a carpet. What was going on in that church? It was witchcraft. Manipulation in its simplest form. I mean, using spiritual dreams and message in tongues and oh my goodness, there was obviously no one there to correct it if that went on. But we have to understand that people will say, the Lord says... 
Well, what somebody says the Lord says, how are you going to un unlord it? Does that make sense? If you, it, and, I, and I spoke this to the people who work at the altar thing. And I, said, I said, listen to me. I said, if you give a word, if you feel like God has a word for somebody, you don't do it without a leader there to listen to it. Because it's going to be judged. And if I find out that you're doing it, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to throw you off the team. Because I'm the one that's got to clean up the mess afterwards. Well, so-and-so told me this, or so-and-so told me this, or so-and-so told me this. And uh, it's, but the Bible says this, that if someone is speaking and, and something is revealed to one of the prophets in the body, then it says, then let the others be quiet, speaking of other prophets, be quiet, and let this one speak and let them judge. Even if it's a prophet, just because they've proven themselves over their lifetime doesn't mean that they can't get it wrong. And, and so it says to judge those things. And so, um, uh, I mean, I could just tell you story after story. I won't bother you with that. Philippians 1, verse 9 and 10. Paul prays and he says, And this I pray, that your love may abound in true knowledge and discernment. Do you see the combination there? Knowledge and discernment. Discernment comes by knowledge of God's word and knowledge of the voice of the Spirit of God. And the voice of the Spirit of God will never contradict the word of God. Never. People say, just like I read, told you what that woman said, you can't fact check her using the Bible or any other thing because her word is a higher revelation. Well, no. I fact checked you. You're wrong. And that's not right. And, um, but it says, let your love may abound in true knowledge and discernment. That word discernment means judgment. That, that knowledge and judgment will abound in your life. That's his prayer for, the, for him. And he goes, so that you may distinguish by examining between the things which differ, bad, good, and excellent, in order to be sincere or genuine and pure and blameless without offense, without sin, without deception until the day of Christ. That's what he's saying. And um, that's his prayer to the church in Philippi, to the believers there. He said, I'm praying that you may abound in true Judge, uh, knowledge and judgment that you'll be able to, by examining, distinguish between good and excellent uh, or bad and ex excellent in order that you can be genuine and pure. That's my focus. That's, that's my intent in teaching this, is not to try and get off on any tangent or anything, but I want us all to have wisdom. God's wisdom concerning the things that are being said 
Christian TV, when it first came out, was a great thing. I don't know that it's all that great anymore. That's just me, okay? Uh, simply because there is so much stuff on there. And we've heard from people in other countries. They said the worst thing that ever happened was satellite TV. When Christian television came, it created a furor of false doctrines and teaching that spread through churches. And I know that God saved a lot of people that way, and so we're not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. All I'm saying is we have to be able to discern truth from error. And it's not what I think. It's not what you think. It's what God says, and that's all that matters. And that's why this book is so important. Feasting on this will make discernment second nature. We don't have to be worried about, did I just hear something bad? Did I hear something? You know, you just know it. How many of you have taken a, a bite of something and immediately knew you didn't like it? Yeah, you know, I mean, I don't have to eat it twice to find out. I didn't like it the first time. It ain't going to be any better the second time around. So it's, it's feasting on this word that when you get a hold of something that's not right, you're going to recognize it immediately. Amen? Questions, thoughts, comments, anyone? I want this to be a learning time. So, yes? Right. Yeah, well, that's good. That, but that's the natural progression. When we, when we default to not operating in the spiritual, then we start operating in our own understanding. And then we, if we stay there, then we're going to start making erroneous decisions so we're going down, and if we continue on that path, then it opens door, doorways or pathways to darkness. And then they fall away from God. And then what happened every time? God would have to bring judgment upon them till they repented, and then they'd come back and they'd do the same thing all over again. And so it's the same thing in, the Christian, in, the, in our Christian walk. We have to walk we, it's, it can't be a Sunday-Wednesday thing. It's a seven-day-a-week thing. And, and um, it's, it's, it doesn't mean that we're never going to not make mistakes. But when we make a mistake, we're, we're quick to we recognize it. If, if, if we don't, that's the danger. That's the danger. It's like when we do something wrong and we're not convicted or we're not grieved immediately, something's wrong. Or, yeah, if you get defensive... 
And, you know, immediately, you know, you get defensive. Don't tell me. I know I'm right. I know where I stand with God. You know, that kind of thing, man. Boy, when you start having to defend yourself, that's a sign that you are on dangerous grounds. And uh, I've seen that. I've seen that with preachers, and I've seen that with church people. And they go, don't tell me. I, I know what I know. Oh, I know what I know too. You know, yeah, something's not right. Uh, I used to always hear uh, a certain preacher, I won't name him, but whenever he would get on a certain bandwagon about a certain topic, almost inevitably within a period of time, it would come out that that same preacher was committing that same sin. Yeah, whatever he's preaching and hammering about, man, he's... He's, you know, he or she. I mean, it just, there's no gender thing on that. It's just people, you know. So anyway, any other comments or questions? Well, let's just take a moment to pray. I, I would say let's take a few minutes to pray, but I see all the youth are already out. And that's going to get kind of wild out there in a few minutes. So um, let's just uh, take a moment and pray. In fact, why don't we just pray for one another instead of a topic per se. Let's just pray for one another. Why don't you find somebody or maybe two or three of you get together and just pray for one another tonight. I think that would be a good thing. I think that would be a good thing. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, just get it from your seat. Go find two or three others, four others, whatever, and just begin to pray for one another. If they have a specific need, that's fine. Pray for that. If not, just, just pray God's blessing on them. Thank you, Lord.